Happy Father's Day. Okay, so let's get into this. Uh, we're looking at a, a series of lessons on the Holy Spirit. The title of the sermon series is Empowered, Plugging Into the Life That God Has for You. Now, when we talked about it last week, what we looked at is that the Holy Spirit is a him, not an it. That he's an actual person. And what we came to the conclusion was, is if we're going to plug in, if we're going to be empowered and experience the life that God has for us and intended for us, we're going to have to make a personal connection. We're not going to get there through rules and through programs and affiliations and just going through the motions. It's going to have to be personal. Well, now, having that discussion, a couple of questions sort of came to my mind rather naturally. The first one is, is what happens when the Spirit empowers you? How many of you guys have wondered if this is something you even want? What happens? What does it look like when the Spirit empowers me? Am I going to go into a trance and, you know, uncontrollable bursts of holiness? You know, <laughs> what's, what's going to happen if I actually get plugged in and empowered by the Holy Spirit? The other question that comes to my mind is, why in the world does the Holy Spirit want me to be empowered anyway? I mean, what's it about? And I think the reason why that question comes to my mind is most of my life, the gospel has been presented to me sort of narrowly as being about not going to hell, being saved so that I can go to heaven. Anybody else kind of got that, what this is all about? Yeah, a lot of us have. Well, if all God was after was trying to save me from hell, and that already happened when I was saved through faith, not from anything that I had done, then why does it matter if I'm actually empowered? Right? And last week we looked at, at a passage that told us that you can be a disciple and not be empowered. So what we're going to look at today hopefully will take us towards answering these two questions. What happens when the Spirit empowers you and why does the Spirit want to empower you anyway? So we probably need to start by looking at what the Spirit's actually up to. Now I'll start us off with uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Paul says there that if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old one's gone and the new one's here. You might want to circle new creation. Paul is contrasting original creation with a new creation. and He's claiming that if you are in Christ, if you're saved, then you are a new creation. Makes sense, right? What has that verse got to do with the Holy Spirit? Well, I think it's got this to do with it. Wherever God is creating something new, wherever, whenever God creates something new, you're, you're going to find the Holy Spirit is at work. The Holy Spirit is always at work whenever God is creating. How do I know that? Well, look at Genesis 1. Second verse there, verses 2 and 3. Original creation, right? The earth was formless and void and darkness, darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the water. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. Some translations has that moving over the water as brooding. Like a mother broods over her children. The Holy Spirit was there at original creation. When God was creating, the Holy Spirit was the active agent of God's creative power. Remember, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. He talks about being born again. Now, Paul, remember, he says that if you're in Christ, 
You're a new creation. That's being born again. If you've been born again, then you're a new creation. And what did Jesus say about being born again? He said in verse 5, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So in original creation, you've got water and Spirit. And in new creation, you've got water and Spirit. Whenever God is creating something new, the Holy Spirit is at work. And if you've been created new, if you're in Christ, you are a new creation. You're the result of that new creation. Which just goes to end also, we're going to find out, that you're not just the result of the new creation. You're partners with Him in it. That's going towards the question of why does He want us to be empowered? What does it look like? We'll take a look at that real quick. Or we're going to try to anyway. Over in Romans chapter 12. Paul talks about it this way there in verses 4 through 5. We're actually going to read more of this, but we're going to stop at verse 5. He says, Just as each one of us has a body, one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. You get the analogy that he's starting with, right? How many of you guys here are saved? Show of hands. Did you realize that as many as put your hands up, you are now a part of one body? That's something new, isn't it? That's a new creation. Here's the first point that I want to show you this morning. When the Spirit empowers you, you will connect with other Christians to form one body. When you get plugged in, you'll form one body. The Holy Spirit is creating a new creation, and it's the body of Christ. That's His church. Now, the Holy Spirit was in Jesus' body. Do you guys remember reading about in Luke 3, whenever Jesus got baptized? What happened when He got baptized? Everybody saw and heard something. you remember what that was? What was it, Mark? When Jesus got baptized, you were nodding, I thought you'd... <laughs> hey, listen, whenever I'm preaching... If I ask a question and you nod, there's a good chance I'm going to ask you to tell me what you're thinking. So don't make eye contact with me if you don't want this to happen. The Spirit of God came down exactly right. Looked like a dove. Everybody saw it. And in John 1, we're told that it stayed in Him. See, everything that Jesus did, He did through the power of the Spirit. The Spirit was in His body. In fact, we're told that it was without measure in his body. Matthew 3, John 3. It was a different way than he's with us. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is still in the body of Christ, just like it was then, except now we're the body of Christ. You see the connection? The Spirit is in us too, if we're in Christ, if we're part of that new creation. Now, obviously, None of us have the Spirit in the same way that Jesus did, without measure, fully. But collectively, we do. There are Christians, part of the body of Christ, all over the world this morning, doing fundamentally the same things that we're doing. Talking about our relationship with God. Sharing communion. Praying. Talking to God. Praising God. And encouraging each one of us to act according to the Spirit, and to experience all that God's got for us, encouraging each other to plug in. 
and let the Spirit empower us. That's happening all over the world. But we're still left with that question, why does the Spirit want to empower us to be Jesus' body? Why would Jesus need a body on this earth? It's kind of a simple, obvious answer. If I'm just a head up here, what am I going to get done? If my head is just sitting up here, you know, I've gotten to the age where I've come to believe that my body is for nothing more than getting my head from place to place. You know? It does. But my body helps me to function and to carry out. I believe that the reason why we have been created new, a new creation, and made one body, is to function as Jesus' body, which means carrying on his mission. See, it's not just about not going to hell. It's not just about going to heaven. It's about fulfilling his mission and carrying it on as his body. So what was his mission? What was Jesus' mission? Anybody. Seek and save the lost, yes. What else? Bless the nations, yes. What else? Say again. He died for us, yes. Preach the gospel of the kingdom of God, we're told. See, as I began to try to answer that question for myself, I found lots of different things that he said was his mission. But I found one statement that seems to be the umbrella that captures all of them, and you'll find it in Revelation 21, verse 5. And there Jesus said, Behold, I'm making all things new. As I thought about it, everything that you mention falls underneath that umbrella of making all things new. Does that sound like new creation to you? There's the original creation, which Paul says, if you're in Christ, that's gone. The new creation's here. Jesus says he's making all things new. That hasn't completely happened yet. It's in progress. It's happening. If you're in Christ, you're part of his body. And it's not just a question of whether you're in the body. It's whether you're functioning as part of the body. And I've given you that prompt question on your notes. And I hope that you'll answer it honestly. Are you functioning as part of the body of Christ? Anybody in here got a part of your body that doesn't function? <laughs> I know that's a wide open question. I wish I'd have thought of that before I asked it. Could you, if you, let's just say your, your pinky. What's it like if your pinky doesn't function? Is it still a part of your body? But it doesn't function. Yeah, it's still a part of your body, but it's not functioning. What's that like? Now, pinky doesn't sound that important, does it? Until you try to play piano or guitar. And, and probably a lot of other things. Or sign language, yeah? Or scratching your ear. I, I don't know. You, your, you, you expect all the parts of your body, if they're connected, to function, right? And what happens if your body, if, that, if your pinky isn't functioning, what's, what's that going to be like? It's going to wither. It's not going to move, so the muscles are going to atrophy. It's always going to get hung up on stuff. Every time that you move, it's going to get hit. It's going to get damaged. It can even cause gangrene. Cause serious infections to the rest of the body. The point isn't whether or not you're a part of the body. The question I'm asking you is, are you functioning as part of the body. We have a lot less people here this morning than we normally do. And the reason for that, probably twofold, 
uh, probably some people are, are with their dads out of town. We got a lot of people that have left to go and serve at camp, right? Now, I'm not serving at camp. Does that mean that they're not functioning with me? They're absolutely in the same function, aren't they? We don't all have to be doing the very same thing to be connected and to be functioning. I, I play guitar, at least I play at guitar. And Danny, is Danny Gill still in the room? Okay, I'll tell this story, even without him. When I first moved to town, uh, I lived in a, in, a, in a house, and Danny was one of my roommates. Well, I had a guitar, and I would sit and I would play my guitar, and Danny would look at me, kind of like, and one of the other guys says, why are you looking at him like this? He says, look at his foot. It has nothing to do with what he's playing. And it's true, because I'd be sitting here strumming along, and, and it, if you closed your eyes, it would sound right. But if you look at my foot, it's flopping wildly, <laughs> like, like it's disconnected. But in a bizarre sort of a way, it was working with the rest of my body to keep me in time. And I think it's like that in the body of Christ. My foot isn't playing the guitar, but without it, I'm not going to play as well. And the folks that are working at camp, they may not be preaching this morning, here, up here, but they're still coordinating. God is still coordinating whenever he empowers us to function as a body. We function in different ways. But the point is we function. This is part about what, is it, what does it look like when we become empowered. You look like something that functions. You look like one functioning body. Paul talks about this a little bit, I think, whenever we get over into Romans chapter 12. I'm going to show you the first two verses and then we're going to look at the rest of them as we get going. Paul says there we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, well then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Okay, so he's talking about gifts, isn't he? The second point I have in your notes is here, when, what does it look like? What happens when you get empowered, when you plug in to the Holy Spirit? When the Spirit empowers you, you will begin to show signs of charisma. Charisma. Familiar with that word? What does charisma mean? It means what? Draw people to you? Yes, someone who has charisma does that. Our English word comes directly from the very same word in Greek. The Greek word charisma means gift. Gifts of the Holy Spirit is what we're talking about here. And that's what Paul just listed, isn't it? Now, whenever I talk about gifts of the Spirit, is this the list you think of naturally? No, no, it isn't. What do you think of whenever you hear gifts of the Spirit? 1 Corinthians 13, yes, we will get there. What specifically about 1 Corinthians 13? Gifts of the Spirit. It's not like you haven't heard this before, have you? You've heard about gifts of the Spirit, haven't you? And usually what do people talk about? Fruit of the Spirit. Not the same thing as gifts of the Spirit. What's gifts of the Spirit? You're ahead of me, and we're going to talk about this, because honestly what I found is most of us, we've heard of fruit of the Spirit, we've heard of gifts of the Spirit, but it's kind of like one big massive thing, but they're actually very different. 
or at least they are different. I don't know if they're very different, but they're different. And I think it helps us to understand the difference between them. Most of the time, whenever I hear people talk about gifts of the Spirit, I hear about people talking about speaking in tongues. Is that true? Is that something that seems miraculous. Something that seems more than natural. Right? Well, in this list that Paul gives us, gifts of the Spirit here, he gives us prophecy, serving, teaching, encouraging, giving, leading, and showing mercy. How many of those seem supernatural or miraculous? One, by my count, prophecy. You know what prophecy is, right? Prophecy is where you can see what's going to come, where you can kind of look into the future. That seems miraculous and more than natural. Because if I could prophesy, I'd probably go win the lottery. I would have actually bet on the Cubs winning the World Series last year <laughs> instead of being surprised with everybody else. So I clearly have not been given the gift of prophecy. But when I look at these others, they don't sound supernatural or miraculous, and yet they're gifts of the Spirit. When you plug in, what's going to happen? You're going to get gifts. Paul does talk about those more sensational-sounding ones, those more uh, supernatural ones. There in 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 12. And he mentions healings, miracles, and speaking in tongues. And those sound pretty supernatural, but the rest of these sound kind of natural. What, what should we make of that? I'll tell you what I make of it, and you'll have to do your own thinking on this and see what you come up with. But I get that we shouldn't dismiss the gifts that seem natural. We should not dismiss as though they don't matter or as though they don't come from the Spirit. See, sometimes we minimize what the Spirit's doing. And because of our culture, a lot of times we, when we talk about gifts of the Holy Spirit, we're thinking about supernatural sounding stuff. It's not always that. The other thing I get out of this passage that we just looked at is that everybody has a gift. Everybody does. Let me back up for a second here. Whenever Paul talks about this, he says there are different kinds of gifts. Gifts of the Spirit, right? And then he says there are different kinds of service. He's still talking about the same thing. And that's important to notice because gifts means service. Nobody is gifted so that they can be set up and worshipped for their gift or so that it can go to waste and be idle. If you've been gifted, and everybody's been gifted, it's because you were intended to serve. And then he says there are different kinds of working. He's still talking about the same thing. Gifts of the Spirit means serving and working. Anybody here buy power tools ever? Yeah. Did you buy an expensive one or a really nice one? Did you leave it in the box and put it in your basement and say, I have it? This is wonderful. This <laughs> Ah, you bought it with a purpose in mind? Whenever the Lord bought you, do you think he bought you to leave you in a box and say, look what I have? To put you on a shelf and say, this one is mine. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit. How many of you guys have scratched your initials into your power tool so that nobody else can claim it? Yeah! Guess what the Lord did when he put the Holy Spirit in you? He sealed you 
to say, this one is mine. But I don't think that he intended to save us in, and, and leave us on a shelf just to say this one's mine any more than you bought a power tool to leave it in your garage and never open it up or put it to use. And just think about it a little bit further. How good is that power tool going to be if you never plug it in? Why is it important that we get plugged into the Holy Spirit? Because he gave us a gift. Everybody in this room has been given some kind of a gift. They don't all seem supernatural. But he intends you to plug in so that he has, you have the power to use that gift for his purposes. The reality is, if you plug into the Spirit, he will empower you. He says there, he says, in all of them and in every one. That sounds pretty exhaustive to me. In every one, it's the same God at work. And he says, now to each one. The manifestation is the spirit of the Spirit is given. And for what purpose? What does he say there in that verse? He says it's for the common good. For the common good of those that are in the body. God has gifted each one of us with something. Now the reality is, is most of us, especially early on, may not really be much aware of what gift God has given us. How many of you guys know for sure what your gift is? That's a minority. There are some churches that actually try to help you figure out what your gift is, and they'll give you a survey or some sort of a test, uh, a questionnaire, kind of like a, what, a Myers-Briggs test for personality. They have something like that so that you can figure out your spiritual gift. I'm not sure what to think of those, to be honest with you. I, I don't know that we need that here. I don't know how good that is. I'm not going to knock it with the churches that do that. I think that... The reality is, it's most likely that other people are going to figure out what your gift is before you do. Other people will notice what your gift is, probably before you notice it, because they'll know what you're doing that ministers to them. Has anybody ever said, man, what you did there, that really helped? Has anybody ever called attention to something that you're doing, that you're serving, and they go, man, that, that really helps? And there may be more than one thing. Someone said to me years ago, when you sing, it really helps. When you sing, it really encourages me. I'm not God's gift of singing, but I think God gave me the gift of singing and has allowed me to use that gift in worship music here. I'm not making any claims as to what he's doing for me as far as gifting me with public speaking and teaching. Uh, you guys can make up your own mind as to whether or not that's a gift from God or I'm just doing a duty as assigned. But here it is. The thing is, is God gifts us, and other people are probably going to notice it before you do. And I'll tell you, this is just my important, this is just my opinion, so take it for that. I'm not sure how important it is that you know what your gift is. I'm not sure it's that important that you know. The important thing is that everybody who is walking in the Spirit will be walking in love and serving people. In, probably in the ways that are most natural to them. It's back to that question about functioning. If you're saved, then you're a part of the body of Christ. But are you a functioning part of the body of Christ? Or do you just lie limp and lifeless 
and soak up energy, soak up resources, and hold back the body. You've been given a gift. If you plug in, you pull the trigger, and something's going to happen, and you'll see what your gift is. Other people will probably see it before you. How important is it that you plug in? And let the Spirit empower you. So here's the question I've got for you. What is it that you're doing that's ministering to others? Has somebody said, yes, that that really helps me when you do that? That really ministers to me. What are you doing? If you don't know what that is, if nobody's ever said what you're doing is helping, you've got to question whether or not you've plugged in. Whether you're actually empowered and experiencing the life that God's got for you. Third thing, when the Spirit empowers you, you will begin to produce fruit of the Spirit. That's what Mike was starting to jump into a little bit earlier. Fruit of the Spirit. When the Spirit empowers you, when you plug in, you'll begin to, sp- you'll begin to see the fruit of the Spirit coming on. Galatians 5.22 says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Someone asked me earlier in the week, is that an exhaustive list or could there be more things that are on the list? I hadn't really thought of it before, but there's probably, I mean, there's a possibility there's more things that are on this list. There could be more things that are on the list of gifts also. But I know that these are listed. What's the difference between gifts of the Spirit and fruit of the Spirit? You've seen two different lists. What's the difference between them? I read one author and he said it's roughly the difference between a Christmas tree and a fruit tree. What's the value of a Christmas tree? Well, about December 27th it usually gets burned, right? There's no inherent value in a Christmas tree. The gifts that are there are just reflective of the one who gave the gifts. The gifts of the Spirit are about the one who gave the gifts, not about the tree. Yeah, Sherry? Sure, but not, not, not July 7th. <laughs> it's gone. I did. But a, but a fruit tree, a fruit tree will feed your family. It keeps producing fruit. That was one explanation. Here's my explanation. Gifts are what you do, but fruit is who you are. I'll say it again. Gifts are what you do. Gifts of the Spirit are what you do. But fruit of the Spirit is who you are. You see, fruit of the Spirit is the character of Jesus. When we're talking about fruit, we're talking about character. When you read Galatians 5.22, you're getting a real short description of Jesus. Was Jesus love? Oh, yeah. We could talk about each one of these, and he absolutely embodied those. They came off of him. 1 Corinthians 12, 31 through chapter 13, verse 3, Paul has been talking in 1 Corinthians 12 about gifts of the Spirit. 
He's been talking about those, and he says this. He says, earnestly desire the greater gifts. Paul thought that some gifts were more important than others. If you keep reading what Paul wrote, you'll find out that he thinks that prophecy is the one he wants everybody to have. He's really sort of, eh, on speaking in tongues. But he wants everybody to have prophecy. And it sort of makes sense. If all of us in here were able to prophesy and see what's going to happen, how could that help the body of Christ? That'd be kind of cool to have, right? He realizes not everybody's going to have that. But he says, earnestly desire the greater gifts. And then he goes on and says, and I will show you a still more excellent way. Something more excellent than gifts of the Spirit. And he says, if I speak with the tongues of men and angels. Tongues, is that fruit of the Spirit or gift of the Spirit? It's gift of the Spirit, right? If I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but I do not have love, is love a fruit or a gift? It's a fruit. We just looked at it in Galatians 5. He says, if I have this gift, but I don't have that fruit, he says, all I'm doing is being noisy, like a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, that's obvious, it's a gift, right? And I know all myriad mysteries and knowledge. And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I don't have fruit, love, I'm nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, we're talking about gifts again, and I surrender my body to be burned, but I don't have fruit, love, it profits me nothing. Paul is saying clearly, he's contrasting gifts of the Spirit with fruit of the Spirit. Why do you think he thinks fruit of the Spirit is a more excellent way than gifts of the Spirit? And it still comes back to why he wants us to be empowered, doesn't it? He's creating something new. So you're not just the result of the new creation. You're a part of it and a partner in it. You understand what I'm saying there? You're helping with new creation when you're empowered. And he says a more excellent way than gifts of the Spirit, as great as they might be, is fruit of the Spirit. Why does he say that? Why is fruit a more excellent way than gifts? i got about three things that I can think of. I'll throw them out to you. You consider and make up your own mind on it. The first thought I have is, you can be very gifted and still be very carnal. You see, having spiritual gifts, as great as that is, and as important as that is, doesn't mean that you're spiritual. Anybody here ever know of a very gifted person who was not a very good Christian? How many preachers could keep people bound, hang on every word, so connected, and build massive churches where they're just piled in, and then you find out they don't act like Jesus? And it makes the news, doesn't it? You can be very gifted and still be very carnal. Because having a spiritual gift doesn't mean that you're, you're actually spiritual. In the Old Testament, Balaam, you remember the prophet Balaam? He prophesied, but he wasn't a good guy. Caiaphas, the high priest, he prophesied. Prophecy is a gift of the Spirit, right? 
He prophesied while he was plotting to kill Jesus. That's not a good sign of spirituality, I wouldn't think. But I can make the point even easier this way. If you look over at Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. By the way, that verse should tell you everything you know about why you need to be plugged in and empowered by the Spirit. Because just being a part is not what God's looking for. He wants a functioning member to His body. But He says, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy? Prophecy is a gift of the Spirit, right? Did we not prophesy in Your name? Did we not cast out demons? And did we not, in Your name, and did we not perform many miracles? Those are gifts of the Spirit, right? And yet Jesus said, I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. See, a gift of the Spirit doesn't prove that you're spiritual or even being what God wants you to be. That's one of the reasons why I believe that Paul is saying that the fruit of the Spirit is a more excellent way than gifts. There's another reason. Gifts only last for a while. But character lasts forever. If you look at 1 Corinthians 13, verses 8 and verses 13, Paul says there that love never fails. Love is character. Love is a fruit of the Spirit. But where there are prophecies, that's a gift, right? They will cease. Where there are tongues, that's a gift, right? They will be stilled. Where there's knowledge, that's a gift. It'll pass away. And he concludes his thoughts down in verse 13. He says, and now these three remain. If these three remain, what about all the others? They're not there anymore. And the three that remain are faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Why is fruit greater, a more excellent way than gifts? Because gifts only last for a while. Character lasts forever. I've been fortunate that God has used me in the music ministry for the last 26 years. But I've looked in the mirror, and I've been honest, things aren't getting better. Things are getting older. There's going to come a day whenever I'm not able to use that, that gift anymore. That gift will pass away. But it doesn't matter how old I get, the character of Christ will be relevant and will be present if I stay plugged in. Not only that, but I don't think my life ends whenever this body quits breathing. Where we're going, the new heaven, the new earth, whatever that is, character of Christ is what's really going to matter. So I think that's another reason why we should pursue and allow, plug into the Spirit and allow Him to produce the character of Christ in us. And the last one I've got for you about why fruit is a more excellent way than the gifts is because the seed is in the fruit. Can I go back for a second? Because I want to make another point that I, I just saw in my notes I didn't make under that last point. Sorry about that. Under the gifts only last for a while, but character lasts forever. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul says that we all, who with unveiled faces can contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed 
into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. You see what's going on in that passage? Fruit is about being transformed into the character of Jesus. And it's important for us to, to pause and take a look at this, because if the expectation is that right now, God's going to make me like Jesus, you got the wrong picture. How long does it take for a fruit tree to actually begin to bear fruit? Do you plant it in the spring and get fruit in the fall? Not unless you're planting next to Three Mile Island. <laughs> There's something that doesn't happen that way. It takes time. And being empowered by the Spirit and being transformed into the character of Christ takes some time. It's a journey. But that's what being plugged into the Spirit does. You want to know what it looks like when you're plugged in? When the Spirit is empowering you? You begin to look like Jesus. And the longer you stay with it, the more you'll look like Jesus. If you've been a Christian for a while and you don't look more like Jesus than you did when you began, you've got to seriously question whether you're plugged in. Because that's not natural. No more natural than having a baby that never learns to grow up and walk or feed itself. Fruit of the Spirit is our transformation into Jesus' image, and that's what new creation is all about. But it does take time. It's a journey. The Bible consistently calls it a walk. Now, the last thing I got is the seed is in the fruit. Seed is in the fruit. We know this, don't we? You know, what, what does a, an apple tree produce? Apples. And what happens when that apple grows and falls off? Inside that apple is a seed. And that's how new trees come about. I think that's a really important thing to keep in mind. A seed reproduces the life that it came from when it falls in the right soil. Jesus talked about that in Luke 8 where he talked about the parable of the sower. There's so much more I would like to say about this. I don't know if I've got time this morning. But I've watched for years and I've even fallen into this trap myself where I look at gifts of this, or the fruit of the Spirit, peace, patience, joy, kindness, love, and I'm thinking, I'm not much of that. And so I start trying to focus and to work on being loving. And I start trying to be patient and I start working on being patient. And I think that's just backwards. Have you ever seen an apple tree go, ah! And out comes an apple. They don't grunt. It's not work. It's effortless. It just happens. And so many times when we look at being empowered by the Spirit and we start talking about fruit of the Spirit, we start trying to work on the fruit rather than the root. If the root is good, the fruit will be there. We need to focus on being plugged in. Another, another thing that I've been taught over the years that I've come to decide has got some flaws with it. Fruit of an apple tree is apples. Fruit of a Christian is careful. Because I bought this when it was first said to me. The fruit of a Christian is then Christians. It's natural, right? Apple trees produce apples. Christians produce Christians. That sounds right, doesn't it? Except that there's no verse in the Bible that can support that. We just looked at fruit of the Spirit. Any of them say Christian? No. If one of the seed falls in you and you've got the right heart, the life of Christ will be reproduced in you. And as you mature, there will be fruit. 
and the seed will be in the fruit. But what happens so many times when you have this sort of thinking, and what it's about is it's about trying to get you to be evangelistic. But then people start saying, but I can't point to the Christian that I produced. Am I actually saved? Because if I'm not producing Christians, then maybe I'm not saved. And the parable of the soil says that it's the kind of soil that the seed falls into. The seed is good. I just think I wanted to put that out there for you because so many times I've seen people guilt-ridden and conclude that the Spirit is not for them. He had, there's no fruit in them. They might not even be saved because they can't point to a list of people as though that makes you worthy of something. If it's the Lord who brings people into the kingdom, how do you take credit for it? Right? But if you're connected to the Spirit and empowered and staying in step with Him, if you're plugged in and letting Him move through you and in you and transform your character, which is miraculous, there will be fruit. We just looked at the list of it. And you know what? The power of the Gospel still seems to me to be in the transformed character of a person the changed life more than the miracles. You remember the story of the guy Legion? He was a demoniac. He had... He, had demons in him, and they called him Legion because of the number of legions. I actually found out the other day, I always thought that a legion was a thousand, and I found out that at the time that that was written, a legion was actually 6,000 footmen and another 10% or 600 horsemen. So when they're saying legion, their concept would have been 6,600. This dude had a problem. And everybody in the area knew him. If you remember the story, you know this. Everybody knew that he was crazy, that he was filled with, with these demons. And wherever Jesus cast the demons out of them, him, him and into a herd of pigs, the townspeople come running and they have witnessed a miracle. And on the basis of that miracle, they want nothing to do with Jesus. They send Jesus away. Miracles are a gift of the Spirit, right? They didn't care about the miracle. That didn't impress them. That weirded them out. And they sent him away. But what did Legion do? He went around showing everybody and saying, hey, listen, you know me. You know what I was. Look at what I am. It's because of what Jesus has done in me. And it was a lasting change. And whenever Jesus went back to that area, people were now interested to hear what was going on. They would listen to him. Not on the basis of a miracle, but on the basis of a transformed life. The seed is in the fruit. Are you allowing God to transform you? Are you seeking? I mean, we, we should eagerly desire the greater gifts, but even more, the character of Christ. So I've got some, as I'm wrapping up here, I've got a couple of questions for you to probe with. The first one is, are you producing fruit? Are you producing fruit? Second question is, are you building up others? What are gifts and fruit about? About building about being not just the result of new creation, but a partner in it. Last question is, if the Spirit left you, would anybody notice? If the Spirit pulled out today, would you miss Him? Would anybody notice the difference? If you've answered no to any of these questions today, and it doesn't do any good to lie. Who are you going to impress? 
This is for your good, not me. I'm not here to judge. I'm just trying to share with you what I've learned. But if you're answering no to any of these, you've got to seriously wonder if you're actually empowered and plugged in. I'm not saying that you're not saved. You get what I'm saying about that. But if you're not bearing fruit, if you said no to this, I'm tempted to go further, but I'm out of time, so I'm I'm just going to leave it with that. If you've said no and you want to be empowered, there's something you can do about it. And here's my challenge. This is my tie-in to Father's Day. Okay, It comes out of uh, Luke 11, verses 11 through 13. And this is a familiar passage to us. Jesus said, now suppose one of you fathers is, is asked by his son for a fish. He won't give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he's asked for an egg, he won't give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? If you circled no to any of those questions, I want to challenge you to talk to your Father today. It's Father's Day. Talk to your heavenly Father and ask Him for the Spirit. I basically made the same challenge last week, didn't I? To talk to God and to ask Him, I think it starts with that. Now next week I'm going to try to give you some practical how-tos. In these first two lessons, I've really wanted to spend more time trying to explain to you what we're talking about. What it means to be empowered. What you can expect whenever it happens. It's, it's a big subject. I don't know if I've done it justice. But in this next lesson, we're going to talk about how do you get that power turned on and how do you keep it turned on. And I think the Bible refers to it as being filled with the Spirit. And so I think there's some very practical how-tos that we can look at next week. And if you take seriously wanting to be a part of new creation and to serve your Lord and to be plugged in and to experience not only the empowering of your gifts, but the fruit, the change of character, if you're serious about that and you're praying and asking God, I think that he'll give you something through that lesson that maybe you wouldn't get otherwise. Maybe you'll understand something. Maybe you'll get some clarity and actually begin to experience this new life God's got for you. And it's a powerful life. It's worth having. So with that, I'm going to end it here. And if you would, bow and pray with me, and we'll be done this morning. Heavenly Father, um, trying to to understand your spirit, I'm, I'm grateful that you can allow us to understand, and yet I know that there is just so much more to be talked about and to be thought about and to be experienced. And uh, Father, I, I, I am so grateful for your patience as you guide us as we, as we move along. Father, I pray that everybody that's here, everybody in this congregation, will eagerly desire to see their gifts used to serve your kingdom. That they will be totally unaccepting of just being a non-functioning part of the body of Christ. That, that is a horrible way to exist. It lacks power. Um, it's not something that satisfies you. And something that I think you've told us you don't tolerate forever. That eventually, I think of the parable of the, uh, the gardener, uh, where, where you came and said, why isn't this tree producing fruit? And the gardener, which we're to understand is Jesus, said, let me dig around it for one more year. Let me fertilize it. Let's see if we can't get some fruit on this thing. And if not, then we'll cut it down. Father, I pray that you know, whatever gets us to move, whether it's fear of being cut up and taken out of the garden, or whether it's, hopefully, it's more just the excitement about partnering with you and allowing you to use us, I pray that you'll make us totally discontent with just 
being a non-functioning part of the body. That we'll crave, that we'll eagerly desire to be filled with your Spirit, to be empowered and to be used for your purposes. Father, I pray that you'll change us and make us more and more like Jesus. That we will see the character of your Son come to life before our eyes in ourselves and in this body of believers. Uh, Father, we can't do any of this without you. But we know it's the kind of thing that you want to do. So we have every faith to ask this in Jesus' name and to believe that it will happen. Father, I pray that you'll bless all the dads and all the families that are celebrating today. But help us to remember that you're the ultimate dad. And Father, I pray that you'll help us to ask sincerely for the gifts of the Holy Spirit and for the fruit of the Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.